But don't be surprised if and when a miracle happens that your eyes are open to, that God teaches you something in his word that you know is true, but the person next to you or a family member or a coworker or a friend just doesn't see it that way. We see, we see that in Acts chapter 5. So here's point number 4 as we get back into the back half of chapter 5. And I wanted to start by asking this question and then we're going to look at the passage. Sometimes, I'll, I'll pose the statement and then you can agree or disagree. Well, let me ask, let me phrase it in the form of a question then. Give these guys something to do here. Is it okay to break the law if the law tells you to do something that God's word tells you not to do? Am I, am I free to disobey the government, to disobey the rules, to go against whatever is being brought down by, by way of rules and legislation and, and enactments? For the sake of, that is contrary to my worldview, to my belief system, to my faith in God. Is, is that, am I free to do that? Would anyone say, yeah, it sounds good, it sounds martyr-ish, it sounds um, super Christian-ish. But no, God put governments in place and we obey the governments. And you might even quote some chapter out of Romans to support that. Or are we saying as a group collectively, no, there are times where you have to, you're obligated to, you should seek a higher governing authority. Is, is that okay to say? Or does someone, does someone disagree with that? And that's fine. Okay, I'm not seeing too many hands raised, so... Because here's what happens, guys. Look at verse, look at, um, uh, go back to 29. Go back to 27, actually. When they had brought them, meaning Peter and John, they stood before them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, listen, we gave you strict orders <coughs> not to continue teaching in this name. We've told you several times to stop doing what you're doing. This is the law. You can't do this. This is not a suggestion. This is not if you, if you don't have, you know, anything else going on. This is, you need to stop. And we told you that time and time again, you are refusing to stop. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered and said this, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than you, in essence. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging him. Here goes Peter again. Peter just cannot help but get one more in here. We see this in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 5. He just can't help himself here. He's standing before the high priest. He knows his life is on the line. And guys, he honestly does not care at this point. Peter, Peter do you get the feel that Peter is very, very comfortable in his own skin? Do you get the feel that Peter has now realized... 
I know why I exist. I know why I'm here. And it's to be an apostle. It's to preach the word of God. And so I must obey God rather than you. I have to. I wonder if that's our our feeling, if that's our cry. Do we get up in the mornings in a land of of the, the church of Laodicea kind of thing where we are so wealthy we don't even know we're poor? Do we wake up in, a, in a, a culture of mediocrity, a culture of apathy, a culture of, hey, your religion's yours, my religion's mine, the belief, um, the peace, bumper stickers? And do we say to our culture, I must obey God rather than men? Because, guys, honestly, what is our culture, what's the law of our culture pertaining to uh, evangelism? What does our culture today say about evangelism? Just give, give me your thought. What's the cultural law regarding evangelism today? Not necessarily uh, uh, a state-governed or a national law. Though, you know, are we too far off? You can't pray anymore. Um, you're not going to graduate and say some valedictorian prayer. You certainly can't pray as a coach now with your team. Uh, how far are we? Seriously, how far are we before, uh, you know, I mean, you can't wear anything like in a public school with a Christian message on it. How far are we from, um, you, you, you can't preach outside of these walls. You, you want to come in here and do your thing, do your religious thing, that's fine. But, but. You know, they give us like a 75 foot zone or whatever, you know, the, you can preach within that area. But once you leave that area, that's off limits. Like how far are, seriously, man, how far are we from that? I wonder. It's, what is our it cult? Seems, it seems to me like they only want us to preach in church and only on Sundays. I mean, is, is that, is that, is that fair to say? I have another one over here. I think it's um, that we don't want to offend anybody. I'm sorry? That we don't want to offend Do, anybody. Don't offend. Guys, I mean, seriously, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to realize what does the gospel do but offend? Why does the gospel offend? Because it brings a person, it opens up their, their closet. It opens up their skeletons and, and, and it says, God wants to clean you up. God wants to make you new. And that's going to offend. But more so than that, do you know why the gospel offends? Do, do, why does the gospel offend people? Why, why doesn't, for instance, um, the eight noble truths of Buddhism offend you? Well, maybe it does, but for most of us, it doesn't. Why don't the five pillars of Islam offend you? Why doesn't reincarnation offend you? Why does the gospel offend people? Why is that? Right here. Why, right here and here. Why does the gospel offend people? Because many of the other world religions, guys, are pretty non-offensive. Truth be told. What is it about our gospel that's so stinking offensive? We'll go here. Right down here and then over here. Because it convicts people of the sin and what they're doing and because the Holy Spirit... Yeah, but you know what? I, I mean, yeah, but other religions... Um, 
if, if I'm lazy, you telling me to pray five times a day, that's offensive. But there's no power in those words. I, I, I agree, but you know what I'm saying is, is that would convict me if I'm, if I'm a sluggard. And you say, seriously, I got to get up at 530 in the morning and pray? I got to face towards Mecca and pray? Not just today, but when you get up tomorrow. Do you realize during the ninth month of Ramadan, they fast for a month, sun up to sun down, every day from about 14 on, 14 years old on the rest of your life. If you're a faithful Muslim. I find that offensive just because I, I because I'm lazy. So, so I agree. It, it does convict. It should convict. But let's be honest, right? It doesn't convict everyone. Otherwise, our churches would be much more full. Well, what's so offensive about the gospel? Uh, here and then back there. So, <clears throat> salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Boom. If I had, like, prizes up here, I'd give, I'd give one to you. Well, I'm probably going to say that back there as well. Guys, what's offensive about Peter's message is exclusivity. What's offensive about your message, if you're doing it right, is I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. Through who? Through Jesus. Do you know him? Wait, you mean to tell me that we all can't hold hands and have our ecumenical prayer meeting? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Well, you mean to say that your religion, your belief system is second to none? Yes, that's it's exactly what I'm telling you. Anything less than that, I'm not being true to the word of God. Now, again, let me remove myself from the, uh, the message because I am only the messenger that's what this says. I don't say that to be exclusive. I don't say that to be intolerant. I say that because I don't know what else to say. If I say something else, then yeah, I may appease the crowd over here by being tolerant. I may be able to slap one of those bumper stickers on my car so that everyone can drive by and, and agree with me. But I'm not being faithful to the message. And the message is, Jesus Christ saved you from your sins, and that's what allows you to have a redemptive relationship with God of all creation. That's it, period. Well, what do you mean? Do you mean that Buddha didn't? Do you mean that Muhammad didn't? Do you mean that, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Do you mean that Joseph Smith didn't? Do you mean that Charles Taze Russell didn't? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's what this is saying. So Peter stands forth and he says, listen, high priest. It's almost like Peter is saying, listen, I don't care. Like, I don't care about your title anymore. I'm not impressed. I really am not like I walked with and followed the Messiah for three years. I am one of the twelve. I'm an apostle. He didn't know this at the time, but I'm going to write a book, a letter, a couple of letters that are going to last forever. And you're telling me, you, man, human, are telling me I can't do something? I'm sorry, but not only can I, but let me just add a little bit. You put him to death. Just gets a little bit in there. It's amazing to me. 
comment back here? Isn't the isn't the root of this the person's desire to control who is God? When you say to someone, Jesus is the way, the truth, the yeah. life, you're telling them you don't have the right to choose who your God is. You don't have the right to control and decide the nature of God and what is right and what is wrong. The same way Peter is saying, you don't get to decide who is God. Yeah, that's God well is put. God. And, 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 it, and particularly in this society where it's the me generation and it's all about my choices yeah. and I own who my God is, what, what your God is is up to you, but I own my God. That, and I control what it is. I think well that, said. it's very personal yeah. and it's very um, offensive to people to say, no, no, no. It's not who you want it to be. Yeah. It's who it is. That's, that's well said. In fact, I would say, guys, you know, the motto that, you know, it's all about you, the world is all for you, or, you know, the world that you're taking or whatever. I think if Satan had, like, his top three, like, moments in history, like, that would be one of them. When I got the world to believe that world, the world is all about you, like, that's got to be one of his top three all-time best deceptions ever. When I got the world to believe live independent of one another, live outside of community, live in isolation, and believe that the world is all about you. That's, that I, I've succeeded now. Because the gospel says something entirely different, doesn't it? You must lose your life to, 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 to gain it. You must die to, to live. We live in community, not apart from one another. And Satan is just continually hammers away at that message. So combine that with... Hey, be tolerant of one another. So, so, you know, I'm not saying you can't believe what you believe. Just don't be about, don't be pushy about it. I see Peter being pretty pushy here. And Peter's saying there are some times in our lives, guys, where we have to go against. Where you have to step into the moment and say exactly what Peter said here. I must obey God rather than you. Um, I'll, you know, let me get close to, you know, some ladies in here. Ladies, you know, if, if, if your boyfriend or husband wants you to do something immoral or inappropriate or inexcusable, this is not about, oh, well, I need to submit to his leadership and that's, you know, and so, no, I must obey God rather than you in this moment. Your boss wants you to sidestep, to cut corners, to not put in the books. No, I must obey God rather than you in this moment. This is a very practical point, but it doesn't seem that way until we're in that moment. Because guys, there have been way too many times I've driven home from a conversation, from a meeting, from an appointment, from a relationship, from wherever, and I did exactly what the world wanted me to. And I regretted it. And our days are numbered. And I just don't want to live with regret anymore. I must obey God rather than you. And so I got to do this. Whatever that may be, okay? Point number five. Preaching the gospel is pretty risky. Watch this, verse 33. Okay, Peter gets done accosting these guys. And listen to this. Well, let me pick it up in, in 31. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we, excuse me, we are witnesses of these things. And so... Is the Holy Spirit a witness of these things whom God has given to those who obey him? So Peter's message, if I'm reading this correctly, Peter's message lasts all of three verses. Peter's message took him all of about, what, 20 seconds to say? 
How long did it, how long would you, if it, if I asked you to read 30 to 32, how long would that take you, right? 20 seconds? Look at their reaction, verse 33. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. And the Greek there, guys, is that they were like cut in half with a saw. They were so ticked off at him that they couldn't, like, like, Luke can't express it well enough that they were so mad at him for this message. Not because God performed a miracle, not because he got them out of jail miraculously through an angel. They were so mad at him accusing them once again of killing their Messiah that it says they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. Peter's got to be looking at this moment thinking, I've said what I had to say, and my life may be done right now. I don't know, maybe. I don't know how this is going to go. That's how mad they were. Have you ever been in front of someone that is so mad at you, you don't know how it's going to turn out? You don't know if they're going to slug you right now. You don't know if they're going to go get a weapon. You don't know if they're going to go get friends. You don't know. Like, they're so mad at him right now, they want to kill him. And then this guy steps in. Verse 34, but a certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. This guy Gamaliel, and if you don't know much about Gamaliel, when we get further along, maybe in a few years from now, we get to like Acts chapter 22, we will learn that this same guy Guess who his, guess who he was the mentor to? Paul. This is Paul's mentor right here. I love, love, love how God, you, like God just figures it all out. And it's so funny, I think, at times. God uses the mentor of the guy who enjoys killing Christians, who will later become a Christian, And like win thousands of people to the Lord in his lifetime, but exponentially through his letters, through the epistles, millions upon millions of people, God's going to use his mentor right now to save Peter and John's life. And this guy's a Pharisee talking to his arch enemies, the Sadducees, about not to slay them, not to kill them. God uses a Pharisee whom Jesus said, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs, you guys are the wrong people for religion. He's going to use one of these guys for his glory. Don't ever discount God doing some miraculous things with whomever he wants to do it with. God could never use that guy. God could never use that girl. This guy named Gamaliel steps in when these guys want to kill Peter and John. And he says, listen, in verse 35, he says, men of it. So he sends, he sends these guys out. He's like, time out. Time out. Let's take a breath before we do anything rash. Let's take a breath here. You guys go outside. Wait for a couple minutes. I got to talk to these guys a little bit. And listen to his logic. This, listen to what he says. Because initially it makes sense. Initially, when you first read this, you think... Okay, um, you know, that makes sense. But, 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 but listen to what he's saying here because he makes some incredible flaws in his logic. Men of Israel, he says, take care of what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, 
Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined up with him and he was slain and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up, not the Judas, but another Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished and all of those who followed him were scattered. Verse 38. And so in the present case, I say this, my counsel is this. Now, again, don't forget who Gamaliel is, respected by all the people, teacher of the law. This is his advice. Stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan of action should be of men, it will be overthrown. But if it's of God, you won't be able to overthrow them or else you may be even found fighting against God. So his advice basically is, let's just wait this thing out. Listen, we've seen this. Got two examples for you, guy. 400 people he followed this guy. As soon as he died, Next guy shows up, Judas of Galilee shows up, gets some followers, resurrection time or or revolt time or insurrection time, not resurrection time, insurrection disappears as soon as this guy dies. Jesus just died. Give it some time. But I'll tell you this, guys, if they keep preaching and people keep believing and they gather ahead of steam, maybe it is of God. Now, we have time. Just think for a moment here, because it sounds pretty good. It sounds like he's being rational, right? It sounds like he's being logical here. When people are just flying off the handle emotionally, here comes a guy with some sensibility. That's what the picture is here. Can it, does anyone see the flaw in his logic? Does anyone see why his logic seemingly is okay But there's some really, really foundational flaws in his logic when he's talking about the gospel in Jesus Christ. Anybody care to take a guess on that? And, And I may not be right. I'm just guessing as well. But he says this. First of all, who does he automatically classify Jesus with? He says, listen, Judas of Galilee did this, Theodos did this, and they claimed to be somebody, but after they died, we found out what? They weren't anybody. So his first flaw is he lumps Jesus into this group. And guys, that is world religion 101 right there. Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a good guy. He's not God. He's not deity. It's the same logic here. Hey, Jesus, listen, we've seen this. Yeah, he may be a popular guy, but he's not who he claimed to be. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Gimaliel doesn't give him credit for that. Number two, he assumes that this is going to repeat itself. Just play this thing out. Number three, he assumes that if it's not of God, it will fail. And guys, I'm here to tell you, 1.5 billion people bow to Mecca five times a day. What do you mean if it's not of God, it will fail? I I mean, honestly, what does that mean? Please don't be fooled into thinking 
people can't gather a following. And, and meaning, if I gather a following, it must be of God. That's not true. And conversely, if I'm not of God, my following will fail. That's not true. If, for those of us that are old enough, recall Jonestown. Jim Jones took, what, 918 people with him to their graves because he was a nut job. Um, David Koresh, 1993. Who, who doesn't remember the standoff day after day on television? That guy was a nut job. Killed a whole bunch of people, women and children. By the way, do you realize that, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, when Jim Jones, remember um, uh, uh, the, um, Leo Ryan, right? The, the congressman. Um, for those of you who, who are too young for this, just bear with us here, but we're reminiscing. Ryan goes down, right, with Congressman Ryan with about delegates or whatever, checking out Jonestown in Guiana. Remember, they moved to Guiana. And, um, do you realize that Jim Jones had a son and he played on a basketball team? And that basketball team was in Florida when the mass suicide went down. Missed the whole thing. Uh, amazing. I mean, just, just the coincidence of that, really. The, the irony, really. Anyway... Um, how about, remember, um, less spectacular, but fascinating nonetheless. Remember the, uh, Haley Bop Comet group, the cult out in San Diego, 37 people, not a big deal, but 37 people put $5 and change in their pocket because they believed a UFO was on the tail end of the Haley Bop Comet and was coming to pick them up, but they needed intergalactic toll fare. $5 bill and three quarters in each one of their pockets took uh, a combination of vodka and barbiturates or something, and they all did it right around the same time, killed all of them. And when the cops went in or FBI or whoever went in, all of them remember black uh, sweatsuits, Nikes on, purple thing hanging over them. Please don't believe that a false teacher can't gather a following. So, so that's where his flaws are. But the biggest flaw has to be this. The biggest flaw of this person's thinking is, let's just wait and see. Because guys, a wait and see mentality toward the gospel is a negative answer to the gospel. The gospel was never meant to be neutral. The gospel message was never meant to be given to someone and to have them respond with, I'm just going to wait and see this thing play out. Because we're back to my college roommate. Prove it. We're back to the mentality of, let's just wait and see if God's big enough to grow this thing. If he is, well, then he was right and we'll just step in. No, my friend, judgment's coming. And if you get a chance to believe in Jesus because the gospel has been given to you, your answer can be yes and it can be no. But it cannot be, I'll just wait and see this thing play out. When you say that, you're siding with no. You're based, Gamaliel was basically saying, I don't believe it as much as you guys believe it. I just don't want to see these guys' blood shed all over the floor right now. That was his answer. So he pacified the situation. But please don't, don't forget, he said no. He, in essence, said no. That was his biggest flaw. 
The gospel is risky, guys, because when you present it, you don't know what's going to happen. Peter steps up and says, you guys killed Jesus. And these guys said, oh, yeah, we're going to kill you right now. And if not for, save for Gamaliel, they would have died right there in that very moment. So God used him, albeit flawed logic, to save their lives. Did they know that? No, the gospel is going to be risky. Please don't not preach the gospel because you don't know what the result is going to be. Whoever knows what the result's going to be. You're, you're sitting there next to a co-worker. Your cubicle's next to theirs. You're scared to death right now. You don't know if they're going to flip the table over. You don't know if they're going to go Rambo on you. You don't know. You don't know if their cup of coffee's going to land in your lap because you offended them. You don't know. Don't let that stop you. You don't know if they're going to go tell the boss on you. You don't know if it's going to cost you your job. You don't know if... Guys, there's a whole book... I'll share with you a little bit next week on martyrs. You honestly don't know if it'll cost you your life. Columbine, Cassie Bernal. You don't know. That shouldn't be a reason to not preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. The gospel is risky. The gospel is an adventure. But as I mentioned last week, we need new blood in here. Churches, I mean, churches need new blood, not transfer growth. Churches need some new blood in here. And that's only because people took the risk and preached the gospel. And those people believed. Okay, here we go. Chapter six. Here's my question for you tonight. Do you know why you're here? That's kind of a meta, like, physical, ethereal question. But seriously... Have you ever stopped and thought about, God, why now? Why me? Why here? Why now? So what I want to do is I just want to encourage us tonight that I'm a firm believer that there is a God of all creation who created your great-great-grandparents so they could have kids and your great-grandparents could have kids and your grandparents could have kids and your parents could have you. To the day that you would be born on the exact day you were born and God set that up eternity past. Is that just not fascinating to think about? How, how not only big God is, but how calculating he is. That before anything, God knew I wanted this person here at this point in time, not just to fill up space. But I need them to do something for me. And it can only happen in this space, in this time, right here, right now. So to make that happen, I'm going to make all of these other things happen. And guys, he did that for each and every one of you. That's amazing. And when I read Acts chapter 6, the first seven verses, that's what I get out of those verses. Doesn't seem like it. Just seems like these guys are running into problems. The church is growing. We got growing pains. And so they need to find a solution. So they pick some guys to do some ministry. Okay, maybe. But what I take out of that is you're here for a reason. And the quicker you can embrace that, and accept it and enjoy it, 
the better off life's going to be. Look at verse uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Oh, I'm sorry, that's verse 8. How about verse 1? Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews, the, the, the uh, Greek-speaking Jews, against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Okay, so all that simply means is the church is growing, adding numbers each day, and now there's complaints. Welcome to life, right? And so now we've got Greek-speaking Jews complaining to the native Hebrews that, you know what? Our people are getting overlooked here. And the daily serving of food is just another way to say in the daily affairs. It's not actually literally they're starving. But in the daily taking care of people, our widows aren't getting what they need. And we're pretty, we're ticked about it. So figure it out, do something. And so the church leaders do something about it. The twelve were summoned in the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. In order to do the daily affairs, basically. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmius, Nicholas, and a proselyte, proselyte from Antioch. And these, and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests, Jewish priests, were becoming obedient to the faith. Okay, that's that passage right there. Most of us, or many of us, have read that. You've, you've seen it. We have complaint. They solve the problem. And a lot of times when you go to church leadership conferences, they'll use this as a great way to do church leadership. Right? Great way to divvy things up. Great way to manage the system. What I want to look at is, again, back to this question I asked you. Why are you here? And the reason I want to ask that, guys, is because I think a lot of us are, are, are in one of two camps here. We honestly believe that, yes, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but beyond that, I don't think he's particularly interested in my life or my affairs. Yeah, I mean, he helps me on occasion, but not to the, to the minutia of I'm here for a reason. Because I'm no one special. I'm just not that great at anything. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm just not, you know, I'm not spectacular. So honestly, when you say like, oh, you're special and you're unique, I'm just not buying it. Okay, you may be in that camp. The other camp is, okay, I'll buy this. Like, I, I'm, I know I'm here for a reason. I just don't know what that is. And, and I need help with that, and I'm confused with that. Okay, so two groups we can work with here tonight. Um, either group, or maybe there's a third group. Can I just say this to you? Life is so much better when we can all understand why it is why I'm here. Otherwise, it really does feel clunky and disjointed. And if there's something that the non-Christians of the world need to see, is they need to see a well-oiled machine known as the local church. 
And a well-oiled machine is when everyone's doing what they should be doing and not doing what they shouldn't be doing. So can I, can I just show you an example real quick? I found this online. You may have seen this as well. I think this is a great example of people working together. If we can throw that up. Take a listen. And if you can play it loud, that'd be, I'd appreciate it. I know most of you wanted to get to like 2010. What are they going to sing there? It wasn't appropriate, so I had to shut it off. Did you see the guy on the right, the guy with the crew shirt on? What part was he singing? Did anyone catch that? Way up here, wasn't he? Be that guy going through high school. Dude, seriously, what's wrong with your voice, man? Like, seriously. And now this guy's making bank. And, and be the guy with the low bass voice, right? Guys, the reason that that acapella group works is because the guy with the high voice didn't come in and say, I want to sing bass. And the guy with the, the bass didn't say, you know, I want to sing soprano and, and so on. And so they all come together and they, they, they made, became experts in their particular skill set. Are, we do, are you doing that? Am I doing that? Guys, we don't need a world full of copycats. We don't, I don't, you don't need to be me and I don't want to be you. And you don't want to be me. But I want to be me. And guys, this isn't like some like 
epiphany or, you know, I reach a state of exaltation. This is just waking up to the reality, I can't do anything about it. So God, I wave the white flag. You made me the way I am. And so I'm going to either enjoy it or I'm going to fight you all the way to the grave. And then I'm going I'm to spend forever being me. So I might as well get used to it. And I don't know, recently I just kind of woke up to this reality. You know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the flaws. I'm okay with the misgivings. I'm okay with the fact that, you know, in five years I'll be balder than a cue ball and I'll never have, you know, a 40 inch vertical. And I never will. Ever. I don't care if I buy shoes that make my, you know, uh, increase my, I'll never do it. And I'm okay with that. I was never was meant to be. It never was. And guys, the quicker we can understand that and dismiss the things that we're not supposed to be and really embrace the things that I am supposed to be. Man, the world's a better place. The church is a better place. The gospel is a cleaner, more beautiful message because it's coming from someone that understands that. And I think these guys here in 1 through 7 understood that. And that's why we don't look at it as, oh, you picked seven guys to do some menial daily task. Notice the description that Peter gives here. He says, pick from among you three things. Guys that are full of spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. They're walking with Jesus. They're full of wisdom. And they have a good reputation. To do what? To do the daily tasks of the church. To help people. To serve people. Wait a minute. I understand like if you're up here and you know you need to be all of those things. But do you mean to tell me that when I want to have like a second Saturday and I want to go help someone. When I want to have a singles mom ministry and, and change their oil. When I want to you know run sound back. You mean I have to be these things? Yeah. Yeah. Why? In fact you tell me. Why does, why do you have, in the, in the daily workings of the church, why does it matter that you be full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and a person of a good reputation? Just think out loud here with us for a moment. Why is that necessary slash important for the daily activities of the congregations of the churches? The volunteering you're doing week in and week out, the 400 people that showed up to the carnival to work it to volunteer for it why would it have been beneficial for them to be full of the spirit full of wisdom and people of good reputations just practically why would that be right here i got my auctioneer right here give me a sold right here go ahead because when you're volunteering for the church you are you represent the church and jesus and, and, who are, and who's most likely to win that person to Christ? Me, standing up here saying, you know, believe in Jesus. Or you, getting to know someone and their kids and the kids' costumes, giving them some candy, and then finding out they just lost their mom. That they just got fired. That they're having a really tough week right now. But they made it to the carnival. Who's going to lead them to the Lord? 
he's going to lead him to the Lord. I may help. This may help. This may be a motivation. But, but I'm not leading you to the Lord right now. You're going to go out here and you're going to minister to someone because you're full of spirit, full of wisdom, full of a good reputation. And you're going to share your story, this story, and then someone's going to come to know Jesus. Let's, you don't take me up on that. No, I, I, I just need to be me. Like I need to be this disobedient, rebellious, I could care less. You be these things, but I'm not going to be. And then, guys, God's going to put you in a situation where you're going to be with a neighbor, a coworker, or whomever, and they're going to want to know Jesus. And you're going to say, yeah, you should really come to church with me. You should, you know, you should do this cornerstone thing. And they're going to look at you and say, wait a minute, you go to church? Wait, seriously, like, you're talking about, like, someone, no, you go to church? Where do you go with that conversation? Right? And so now hypocrisy is just bleeding out all over. And then the person is just going to choose not to go. This is critical, guys, for us to understand that, God, you've put me here for a very, very special reason. And maybe I'm an apostle, right? Maybe I'm one of the 12. But for most of us, myself included, maybe we're just those daily servers. Maybe we're just those people that get up every day and look to those around us and say, how can I minister to you? How can I help you? Don't ever forget that God is just as concerned about your ministry as he is about Pastor Lynn's ministry. Please don't ever think that when Pastor Lynn dies and you die in the same day, God will say, uh, hang on for a second. Let me just champion this guy over here. In fact, the, the meek are the ones who inherit the earth. The last shall be first. I think God's got a special heart for those who are behind the scenes, grinding it out, and it's not because they're like, I, I'm in prison, I'm hating this. It's because they realized, this isn't my job. This is my job, or this is my job, or this is my job. And I love it. I wouldn't want to do this, but I love doing this. Do you realize Bob back there, Bob runs our sound. Bob works at the church. Bob does a bunch of things here at Cornerstone. Do you know that Bob does this every Tuesday night for free? Volunteers. Every, every Tuesday night. I don't know if he's missed one. Ever. And I could go down the list of people that just show up to do this, to make it happen. I don't know if Bob's ever been on stage, spoken, given a message, played the guitar, you know, played the, the djembe. You know, I don't know if he's ever done any of that. But none of this happens without that guy back there. Go look at that soundboard back there. That's confusing as all get out. It looks like a spaceship back there. And he's just flying around it. Controlling this whole thing. I love it. Guys, be original. Don't, don't copy somebody. You know, take the fat head off your wall. You know, just... It's, it's okay to admire people. It's okay to model, you know, yeah, you're living a life that I'd probably like to live, but that doesn't mean I want to be you. Um, um, let me just, a little air of brevity here. Um, I don't know if this, I don't know if you guys can see this. Um, I, I came across this because I just so appreciate it. You guys see it? Can you blow it? Okay, good. These are kids that gave test answers. Did you ever see these? Um, is the number odd or even? Even. How do you know? Because I'm smart. That's how I know. I love that. See, that's original. 
I like that. I'm a teacher. I'd appreciate that answer. They graded them wrong. I would have given them a big smiley face. Look at this one. Name the quadrilateral. Bob, Sam, Tennyson. Isn't that great? I'll name them. Here you go. Tennyson. That's not even a name. I love it. Hope. Way to go, Hope. Uh, right or. <laughs> Here you go, teach. I love this one. Hakuna Matata. I got no idea what that means, but I know it's Matata. Brilliant. Um, the, the man blanked the dog. Your options are fit or hit. The man pet the dog. You should not hit dogs. I love that. <laughs> Imagine you lived at the same time as Abraham Lincoln. What would you say to him? I'd tell him not to go to a play ever. That's brilliant. That's like, I'd, I'd put the test down right there. 100 A. Good for you. Um, I earn money at home by, I don't, I'm a freeloader. I like that. Frankie wrote that. Good job, Frankie. Um, where was the American Declaration of Independence signed? At the bottom. Where do you think it was signed? See, see, guys, that to me, that's these kids. They may be trouble later on in life, but right now they figured out I'm who I am. And at the very least, I'm creative and I'm original here. And I love that. I, 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 I wish we could do more of that. I think that, you know, as adults... We figured out the system. I pay my taxes, pay my mortgage. I go to work every day. And there's kind of a mold we fit into. Yeah, we're all unique. And yeah, you know, but there's kind of a system here. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have routine. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have, you know, uh, a formula and a plan. I think it's unwise to not have those things. But certainly, just take a look around you. Do you honestly think that God in his creativity and in his matchless wisdom made you just randomly with the features you have, with the upbringing you had, with the, with the trials you've been through. Don't you think that God knew all of that ahead of time? And don't you think that he planned all of that so that maybe your story would fit that person that needs to hear it? That somehow some of you have just incredible desires to minister to youth while the person next to you I hate youth. Like, I don't want to, you can't get me to teach youth. That's not, that's not a mystery. That's not, we got a person over here with their hand up. That's not like, that's not random. It bothers me to no end when, when I hear my, my students, my Christian students say, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way I am. That's just the way he is or she is. That's not true. Your passions, your skill sets and your talents. You do, do do this. Find out, find out, and your spiritual gifts. Find out what your spiritual gift is. Okay, go online, do assessments, do whatever. Find out what your spiritual gift is. Ask yourself, do an assessment. What am I passionate about? If I had 24 hours to spend with unlimited resources, what would I do? And, and I couldn't get in trouble for it. Um, uh, what are my skill sets? I mean, let's just be honest, guys. Some of us can do some things that others of us just can't do. Some of us are left brain, right brain, you know, whatever. Some of us can sit in physics class and just enjoy the heck out of that. And uh, most of us are just like, why? Like, why am I here? And then others are, you know, challenged, like write poetry. 
And it's like, are you kidding me? Write poetry? Like, where's a rope? You know, I, I, I couldn't handle that. But then other, others are like, oh my gosh, that just, you just, my heart is bubbling right now. I can't wait, you know? And why is that? That's, 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 that's not a random. It's spiritual gifts, passions, skill sets. And then I would, I would discern spiritual gifts from talents, right? Playing the piano is not a spiritual gift. Singing is not a spiritual gift. Oh, I have the gift of singing. No, you have a talent. And usually the, the, the discernment or distinguishment is spiritual gifts are unlearned. They're natural. Talents are learned. It's a skill set. Uh, I play club sport. I'm good at it. Why? Because I play club sport. I sing well. Why? Because I take lessons like six days a week. I'm pretty good at it. That's a skill set. That's a talent. Your spiritual gift is why in the world are you so stinking compassionate? I don't know. I just love people. Why in the world do you just thrive on leading? I just, I don't know what else to do. I just, I get in front of a crowd and I just start talking. I lead. Why in the world do you just have mercy in areas that I just want to wring people's neck and you just want to just love on them? I, I don't know. I just, I just do. That's a spiritual gift. You figure out what your spiritual gift is, your talent, your skill set, and your passion, and you embrace them. Look out. It's a powerful unit right there. Uh, comment or question or thought. Or... I just want to say my name is Ginger and I am uniquely who I am. And I am a Jesus girl. And everybody else should be standing up and saying that also. If they know who they are in Christ. Amen. Thanks, Ginger. Yep. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, right here, actually, to uh, just pass the mic down here. We just have a, one more minute here, and then I'm just going to, we'll pick it up next week. But, and this isn't, and, and guys, before we get to this comment, this isn't, I'm not making this to be magical. I just think it's biblical. They found seven guys, and they said, you're not going to, you're never going to be an apostle. Here's what we need you to do. You're full of the spirit, full of wisdom. You're a man of good reputation. We need you to start serving people. The daily activities of the church. And these seven men stepped up. And I don't think it was because like, oh my gosh, why, you know, why don't I get to be the apostle? I think it was because, yeah, that's who I should be. That's what I'd love to do. It's exactly what I want to do. Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're here right now? Yeah, I just wanted to bring up in uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan for each of our lives. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, it's to bring God glory and uh, just to surrender our will and our plans and seek his will to find out what yeah, his plans are for us in our life. Amen. And, and guys, enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that you are who you are. It, it, it makes no sense when we kind of labor through it and it's like, man, I just, you know, I don't know why I'd rather be this person or that person or, or live in this era or back then or you can't. And there's a reason for that. Once we embrace that reason, watch this. I'll end with this. Verse seven. The word of God kept spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly. And my question is, why did the word of God keep spreading? Two reasons. The apostles knew my primary job is to pray and to study the word of God and to preach it. 
the, the, the deacons knew my job is to get up every day with a faithful heart of a servant and to see what needs people have. And so when you combine those two things, the word of God and people know why they're doing what they're doing, we get verse seven. This is not a mystery. If you want to grow a church, do this. Preach the word of God and get around people, Christians, who know why they're doing what they're doing. I guarantee you, your church will grow. Okay, let's close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for tonight. I know these guys are so faithful to come every week and and. And God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would just confirm to each one of us why we're here. I know some of us are struggling with that tonight. I know some of us, God, really are wrestling with, Greg, I honestly don't know why I'm here. God, would you help them with that? Would you guide them, Father, lead them to people that can pray with them, that can help them understand that? Maybe some of us don't know what our talents are. Maybe some of us are still struggling with what my spiritual gift is or what, what, what am I passionate about? I pray for some alone time this week, Father, for each of us. That we would be able to, to come to some conclusions in those areas. And Father, that ultimately we would just embrace the fact that even if we're not there yet, we can trust in a God who's got a plan for our lives. As was mentioned just a moment ago. And God, we can rejoice in that. We may not have the answer yet, but we know you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, gang. We'll see you next Tuesday.